couple years ago, he looked at me and he said, I don't want to be a nurse, and he walked out the door. Oh, my Lord. After 38 years. And um, I was, it almost killed me because it took my hope. It took my, my spirit. And something hit me one day, and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you going through the chemo, the treatments, the surgeries, just to sit on this couch and let it die? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You are fighting so hard to stay alive, and you are not doing the one thing you're supposed to be doing. You are not living. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Her Drive Podcast. Uh, today's guest is unlike any of the ladies we've had on before, um, and brilliant and beautiful and so inspirational, and I definitely believe that the divine places us where we need to be and puts people and things and blessings around us if we're willing to open our eyes and ears and hearts and just acknowledge them, and Last night, less than 24 hours ago, I just so happened to land in Galveston and need an Uber, and that's how I met Joanna. Um, Joanna, you and I, is um, a very inspirational woman who started sharing her story with myself and the fellas I was riding with, and it just really touched my spirit, um, and I hope that you will glean some inspiration, and if you're not living your life in a very powerful, impactful, meaningful way that um, her story can help inspire you. As you all know, I live a very full, exciting, wonderful life and typically don't take any minute for granted. Um, and Joanna definitely doesn't either. So Joanna, welcome to Her Drive. Thank you Thank for you. being here. Um, thank you for sharing your story with us. And um, as I said, her drive is about, you know, telling your story and your road trip through life. And we've talked a bit, um, already and I've heard, um, a good amount of your story, but clearly not the whole thing. Um, but is, can we kind of start in the beginning and talk through like your life's road trip and how it's led you to where you are now and how your perspective has changed throughout time? Oh, life has a way of, uh, giving you wake up calls mm. as I like to call them. In 2013, I was diagnosed with stage 4 C colon cancer. Um, when they found my cancer, it was already in my large and small intestines, colon, bowel, stomach, liver, and gallbladder. Um, I was given three to six months to live back then. And when you hear that kind of thing, you're kind of in shock and you're kind of in awe. And without hesitation, without days to ponder on it. I just looked at that doctor and I laughed and the doctor said, why are you laughing at me? Do you find this amusing? And I said, absolutely not. But I said, I'm going to tell you a couple of things about me and don't you ever forget them. I said, number one, I'm a fighter. I said, I have never given up on anything in my life. And if you think I'm going to go lay down in that bed and give up on my life, you've lost your ever loving mind. Mm -hmm. And number two, I may cuss and drink and smoke like a sailor and do all the things we're not supposed to do, but I have very, very strong faith. Mm -hmm. And the Bible taught me that God knew the day he was taking me home, the day he put me here. And I told the doctor, I said, he didn't tell me, and I'm pretty damn sure he didn't tell you. So I don't care about your dates. Your dates do not matter to me one little bit. Here it is six and a half years later. I've had over 2,000 rounds of chemo. Mm -hmm. 19 major surgeries, 500 doses of radiation, and I've been on 12 different clinical trials. And I still laugh and smile and have fun. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, you really do. So last night in the car, you said that um, you jumped out of an airplane. Yes. 
I broke my ribs jumping. <laughs> I've decided my cancer has spread to my brain that now might be a good time to work on the so-called bucket list. Mm. So skydiving was on my list. And I have a friend here on the island that I've met. She's 23 years old. And she is my ride or die, as we say. She has <laughs> been she has been up to all the challenges I throw at her. And we went skydiving. Well, I had never been before, so they strapped me to this young man and out the airplane we go. When he pulled the cord, I've had so much chemo, my bones are not as strong as they could be anymore. When he pulled that cord, two of my ribs broke, and I felt them pop. Well, the pain was so overwhelming, I passed out. Mm. When I woke up, we are still in the middle of the fall, and this man is screaming, oh, my God, she's dead, she's dead. And I said, I'm not dead yet, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I scared that poor kid so bad he peed all over himself and me. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We get down to the ground, and he says, ma'am, what happened? And I said, my ribs are broken. He said, well, I guess it's a good thing I thought you were dead because the ambulance is on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But there you go. Big bucket list. That's the way to do it. Wow. What else is on your bucket list? Um, I have been parasailing this Mm -hmm. year. I have built a car this year. Mm -hmm. And I have driven that car at 200 miles an hour this year. Okay. Tell me more about this car. Um, My father was in the military, but his passion is working on cars. Mm -hmm. Daddy wanted a boy, and he got me first. So I learned to work on the cars, hunt, fish, camp, do all the stuff with my father. So we have built quite a few cars over the years. Now, I learned to drive in Germany on the Autobahns, wide open, with no speed limit. Mm. So I've always wanted to do racing. And over the years, I've toyed with street racing kind of stuff, but never anything legal. So I decided this year to build my car, mm-hmm. and I have. I built the car. I took a 2010 302 Boss Mustang, put in a 500 GT with twin turbos and NOS, mm-hmm. and I did all the work myself. Wow. I had help from a neighbor's grandson who knows nothing about cars, but he has the muscle that I don't have right now. Mm-hmm. So... I took him for the first ride in the car. Oh, my gosh. I wish I would have had something in the car to record it because it was just hilarious. We get out onto the highway. Now, I was taking the car to a track. I would never drive 200 miles an hour on the street. Mm -hmm. And I get out on the the causeway here. Now, I will admit, I will run 90 miles an hour on the highway. (laughs) That's (laughs) self-control. And uh, we get on the causeway, and I hit about 90, and he starts hollering, slow down. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? We're going to go open this car up, and you're having a heart attack over 90? So we get out to the track area, and I look at him, and I'm like, you got to get out. Mm -hmm. He's like, why do I have to get out? I said, because I'm about to open this car up, and you were just screaming like a little girl at 90 miles an hour. (laughs) He said, no, I'm good. I'm like, no, really, William, you got to get out. He's like, I'm not getting out. I'm like, all right, then buckle up, buttercup. He's like, I am buckled. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong buckle. Mm -hmm. Because I have a regular seatbelt, but Mm -hmm. I also have safety harnesses. Well, he's six foot five, and I'm five foot two. Those harnesses are made for the driver, Mm. and they snap in the crotch in your seat. So to put a little harness for a 5'2 gal on a 6'5 guy was a little tight snug on him. (laughs) So he gets the harness on, and he looks at me, and he's like, okay, I'm ready. And I said, not yet. And I give him a helmet. And he's like, I need a helmet too? I said, yeah, you're going to want that helmet if I flip the car. He's like, how are you going to flip the car? And I said, on takeoff? He says, Miss Joanna, he said, this ain't a damn airplane. <laughs> and I said, well, I know you don't understand what we did to that engine, but that's about as close to an airplane as you're going to get on four wheels. So he puts this helmet on, and he looks at me, and he's like, all right, lady, I'm ready. 
And I said, are you sure? He's like, well, I said, he said, what's the car going to do, 130, 140? I looked at him and laughed, and I said, if that's all it does, it's going back in the garage, and we're tearing it up again. Mm-hmm. He says, I am ready. And I'm like, this is your last chance to get out. He said, I'm good. Well, I let that car go, and the front end of the car raised up about a foot off the ground. Mm. He started screaming, you, my God, you're going to kill us. You're going to kill us. And I'm like, you are going to kill us if you don't shut up. Mm. I need to focus here. Shut up. Well, I got the car up to about 150, and he buries his hands in the roof of the car. Oh, my God, stop the car. Stop the car. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I am not stopping this car till I hit 200. He said, oh, my God, 200, I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I promise you, if you pee in that brand-new $4,000 seat, you might as well open that door and jump because I am going to beat the crap out of you. Mm. Well, I hit 200, and I asked him, take a picture of the steer- of the dash. He's like, he's got a death grip on the door. Anything he can get a hold of, he is clinging to. I can't, I can't. Well, 200 miles an hour, I let go of the steering wheel, and I said, do you really want me to find my phone? (laughs) Oh, my God, you crazy bitch. Get the goddamn car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's amazing. So I get the car, and he did take the picture. And he got his butt out of the car and promptly threw up all over the place. And a friend of mine had followed us out there. And uh, he tells Reuben, he said, I am riding back to Galveston with you. Oh. (laughs) He said, I will never, ever ride in that car again. Wow. And just so for the listeners, you can't see what's going on right now, but... Joanna is showing me uh, the the dash picture. Wow. <laughs> well, you certainly gave him uh, quite a ride. Oh, yes, yeah. I did. Oh, this is beautiful. Blue. I love that blue. The car is painted colon cancer blue. Oh. Everybody in the world knows that pink is breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, every different type of cancer has its own color ribbon. Mm-hmm. Look, I went to five different people to get the car painted. Mustang enthusiast or Mustang enthusiast, there are certain colors a Mustang should be. Mm-hmm. And this is not a Mustang blue. Yeah. And nobody wanted to paint it the color I wanted it. And I'm adamant that whatever time I have left on this earth, it is going to be my way. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the last guy and I said, look, I have been to six other people. This is the color I want. And yes, before you open your mouth, I know it is not a Mustang blue. It's not your Crabbler blue. It's not your powder blue. It is colon cancer blue. I said the color is non-negotiable. So don't spend the next three hours trying to tell me why I should get it done the Crabbler blue that it's only just a little bit darker than this. Mm -hmm. It's not what I want. I said I have stage four colon cancer. I've been through a bunch of stuff, and this is what I want. He looked at me, and he said, Ma'am, you can have it any damn color you want. Bless him. So the car is colon cancer blue with navy blue racing stripes. When I went back two weeks later to pick up the car, because when you do custom colors, it has to be blended, dried, redone. And I went back to get it, and, you know, on the back of the Mustang where I call it the coin, the Mustang emblem. Mm -hmm. Isn't on the trunk in the back. Well, my coin was laying on his desk, and it had a post-it note with my name. And I said, so the car's not ready? He's like, oh, the car's ready. And I said, well, how can it be ready if my emblem's still laying back here? He said, well, I did something to the car. And he said, if you don't like it, I'll fix it. And I said, okay. He said, come take a look. Well, the day I met him... I had a shirt on that said, Live Like You Were Dying, mm-hmm. Tim McGraw's song. Yep. And I go out and I look at the back of the car and I just started to cry because he painted Live Like You Were Dying where that coin should be across the back panel of the car. Mm-hmm. So I gave him the biggest hug and then he tells me, he said, 
You know, listening to your story, he said, I also ceramic coated the car. And I said, what does that mean? He said, that means that you said you don't know how long you're going to be able to race it, but you can damn sure sit next to it at a car show. He said, so when you're getting ready for that car show, he said, you don't have to spend six hours to wash it and wax it. He said, take your water hose, hose it off and dry it off and you're done. Wow. So he ceramic coated it for nothing. So What a beautiful person. <laughs> wow. And a beautiful car. <laughs> that is my uh, that is my toy. So that's a major major bucket list item. What else is on your bucket list? Um, I would love to go to Egypt. I am a history fanatic. My parents were in the service. I have lived all over the world: Morocco, Spain, Guam, Philippines, Okinawa, mm. Germany. But Egypt, to me, to see the pyramids would be just just my epitome of heaven right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, camping and fishing with my father again, which I am doing in December. We are going to the lake house for a week. Um, <laughs> going skinny dipping was on my bucket list. It got crossed off a couple weeks ago. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> now that's a, that's Was this a with number. your ride or die or someone else? My ride or die. She, <laughs> we were at the. Um, <laughs> she is a bartender at a local club here, and I drive Uber. But sometimes in the evening, if it's really slow, I'm like, forget it. I I love to shoot pool. Mm. I'm not a heavy drinker, but I like to shoot pool. And we went. And I called the guy I'm dating, and I said, meet me over there so we can play some pool. And he said, okay. So we're shooting pool, and he looks at me, and he said, bucket list night. Well, I looked at him, and I'm like, no, because the only things left on my list is a cruise, Mm -hmm. Egypt, camping and fishing with my father, and skinny dipping. Everything else on my list that I put on my list, I've done. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing here on the island that could possibly be done at 10 o'clock at night is skinny dipping. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and Raven said, what's on our list for tonight? She's my ride or die. And I looked at him like, don't you dare. <laughs> and he said, skinny dipping. Raven hollers, everyone help me load up the ice chest. We're going to take this party to the beach. It's bucket list night. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So they did. 35 of us loaded up. The car, we took beer, wine, went out to the beach, threw all our gear on the beach, and 35 of us went skinny dipping. <laughs> At 3 o'clock in the morning, beach patrol comes up. Raven goes bopping out of the water, and she says to him, Are you calling the police on us? He said, No, ma'am, I just came to ask that y'all get dressed before sun up. <laughs> she said, Okay, there's a beer over there if you want one. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, I have to say, um, I'm a bucket list person. Every year, um, I make a list of all of the things that I want to do, try, experience, um, share in the year ahead. And I just started creating my list for 2020. And I thought I was doing some like epic level stuff. But what what I love about your bucket list is they're so epic. And then you're also including others and you're inspiring other people to live. And I don't even know how it's intentional that is it just seems to happen so by you choosing to like live and like do these things that ins- that are inspiring you and like making you happy it's it's making other people happy raven told me the other night she said somebody said to us you guys are such an odd pair mm. because i am an older i'm 55 years old mm. i just turned 55 and i'm so proud of that yeah you know when they tell you you're not going to be 49 and you're 55 i'm ready to celebrate it oh yeah and Raven's 23 years old, and she's this little bitty blonde full of energy. And she's somebody said, Y'all are the odd couple. <laughs> and uh, Raven said, No, what is so odd about finding that one person who can inspire you to know that it's okay to be you, mm-hmm. to know that it's okay to do what you want to do? 
as long as you are not hurting anybody, as long as you are not being illegal about the things you do, it's okay to open up and say, I'm taken today. It's mine. And she said that that's what I have taught her. Wow. That get up today, seize the day. It's yours. No, I mean, I'm inspired. This is how I live. And that's what you just described is my definition of freedom. Like personal freedom is, is doing those things that make you happy, bring you joy and like giving yourself permission to be free. And I think we're so free, at least in America and other Western societies that we create our own cages, our mental cages. Right. And earlier we were talking, um, I don't think we were recording, but, um, earlier we were talking about purpose and you had said that your purpose now is different than what it was before cancer. So yeah. can you talk a bit about that? I recently spoke at a convention uh, in May. And it was a group of doctors and scientists and men who are not generally people of faith or, or anything like that. And I had talked a little bit about my faith. And one of the gentlemen asked me, well, ma'am, everybody who says they have faith say they have purpose. What is your purpose? And I I looked at him and I said, sir, if you would have asked me that pre-cancer, I had four children. I adopted one more. So my purpose was to be, to bring up five productive human beings. I said, I think I did that. Nobody's in jail. Nobody's on drugs. They are all productive, good people. If you were to ask me that now, through my journey, through all I've been through, through all I have seen other people go through, I would have to say if it's to inspire one person to have hope and to hold on one more day, mm. that that this, this cancer thing is not, you've got cancer, you're going to die. And I have seen so many people with that mentality, and they are gone very quickly. And then there's me who just refuses to sit down and say, say what, I want to die? No. I kind of like breathing. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yes, it is. And and when, uh, when the reality of, of everything hit me a couple years ago, I was at a point where I did look like your typical cancer patient. My face was sunken in. I was bald. I really um, had given up. Some I had some setbacks in life. My husband walked out after many, many, many years. And, and one day something hit me that, like, you have gone through all of this chemo. You are going through the surgeries, the chemo, the radiation, the clinical trials, the the physical pain, the emotional drain, the financial drain. And what are you doing it for? You are doing everything to stay alive, but you are not living. And I decided that day to get my ass off the couch and go live. My hair has grown back. Now, I I have permanently lost the hair from here down. So what woman is going to bitch about never having to shave again? (laughs) I was just going to say that. I think I pay to have my my hair lasered off. (laughs) What woman is going to fuss about never having hair on her legs again? Mm -hmm. I mean, my hair on my legs has never grown back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My hair on my head is finally coming back. Yeah, it looks great. Thank you. I just had a drag queen help me cover it, color it. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, it's starting to thin out. Mm-hmm. And I was at Walmart. You know, I'm on a... Every, not all chemo takes your hair. Okay. Different types of chemo people's body react differently to. And mine is starting to thin out again. Mm-hmm. And I went to Walmart to find a color to try to hide some of the bald spots. And I met my first ever drag queen. And her name is Christina, and I'm looking at the colors, and she looks at me, and she says, what color was your hair when you were young? I said, red. She said, fire engine red or carrot top red? And I said, no, kind of an auburn red. And she grabbed his hair color off the shelf and said, that's the one. 
and I put it in my hair, and everybody's like, wow. Mm. So I actually went and saw my first ever drag show. I went and saw Christina. Mm-hmm. She performs here on the island. Oh, nice. <laughs> so that was unique. Christina invited me to the show, and I'm like, I have never been in a gay bar in my life. Never. She said, come on, you're going to have a ball. And I'm like, okay. So I called Raven and said, we're going to go to a drag show. And she's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so we went, and later on in the night, a group of women started gathering around, Raven and I. And Christina, I guess, could tell I was getting a little uncomfortable. And Christina comes over, and she shakes her finger at this girl, and she says, uh-uh-uh, honey, that one's with us. You leave her alone. <laughs> That is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, so do you think, do you, how do you find yourself different? I think my, um, my ability to, I've always been one to adapt and adjust and, and to take today as today. But I think to find the joy in every day. Mm. I, uh, I, I don't let, the, the small stuff get to me anymore. I don't, you know, with cancer comes financial problems and comes emotional problems and, and physical problems. And I don't let that stuff make my mind crazy anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Life is too precious. It is too short. And you have to appreciate today because... God knows tomorrow's not promised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as someone being told four times in six years, get your affairs in order, this is the end. Th- those kind of words are, are stinging. Mm-hmm. And you just have to to say, you know what? What you say doesn't matter. What you think of me doesn't matter. What you want me to do doesn't matter. What matters is what is going to make me be the best me I can be. Mm. That's pretty powerful. So, um, if you're going to go back in time, knowing what you know now, being who you are now, and talk to a past self, a past version of you, a younger self, what age would that woman be or girl be, and what would you say? If I were to go back in time, I would probably go back to 16, 17 years old and say, don't do it. Mm. (laughs) I got married very, very, very young. Had a family very, very, very young. Now, I don't regret my family, my kids, my grandkids, or my life. But I would have went to college, and I would have done things a little differently along the way. Um, I certainly would have known to get screened for colon cancer, to learn to be your own advocate. Because for two years, I had gone to doctors, and they kept telling me nothing was wrong. Mm. And by the time they found my cancer, it was almost too late. And for two years, I didn't know how to make them understand that there is something wrong. Mm -hmm. And they just kept telling me, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. Well, by the time they found my tumor, it was a seven and a half pound tumor. Mm. So I, I, would have, I would have changed my journey a little, but the core of my journey, I don't think I would have changed. Mm. My family is, I have an amazing family. I have uh, amazing friends who I've had for 40 plus years. I, I don't think that, I think it would have been some of the small things I, I would have spent more time at home with my family appreciating Mm. them instead of working 20 hours a day Mm. Um, my grandson is 9 years old and my daughter moved to the Houston area when I came down so that I wouldn't be here 100% totally alone now she lives out in Katy which is about 2 hours away Mm. so we're not close enough that we're under each other all the time but we're close enough if something happens, she can get to me and I can get to her. My grandson comes out on the weekends and spends every other weekend with me. And he said to me the other day, he said, Grandma, he said, you know, 
Mommy said you were a really, really, really mean mommy. Mm. But you were a really, really great grandma. Aww. And I said, honey, you know why that is? He said, why? And I said, Junior, because I don't have to tell you to brush your teeth. I don't have to tell you to do your homework. Get up. Go to bed. Clean your room. I said, I get to take you to CeCe's Pizza and send your ass back to your mom. (laughs) (laughs) The joys of being a grandparent or for me an aunt. I have no children, but my siblings are very fertile, and that's what I love. (laughs) Same reason. And I was. I was a very strict mother. But when you've got five of them in the house and... You know, there were there were things that I wouldn't tolerate. Yeah. You don't lie to me and don't steal. Mm. My kids could pretty much come to me with anything. Now, they knew they were going to get in trouble. But if I found out they were lying to me, yeah. the trouble was going to be 100 times worse. Mm, of course. My oldest son, when he was 15, he called me one night and he says, Mom, I'm invoking my ride rule. Oh, And I said, okay. So I went and got him, just like agreed. I'll come and get you. We won't say a word tonight, but tomorrow we're going to deal with it. And so I went and picked him up, got him home. He threw up all over my car, all over me, all over himself. Get him in the house. His dad helped him get in the shower. His dad was screaming. I said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. We made these rules so our children could feel comfortable to come to us and know that the home is a safe place. I said, I told him, all the kids know, we will deal with this tomorrow. But tonight, just get his ass in bed. So the next morning he gets up. I went in and woke him up at like 6 a.m. He's hung over and his head is hurting so bad he can't stand it. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, God, Mom, I want to die. And I said, oh, no, not yet, but you will in a few. <laughs> he said, I said, what were you drinking last night? He said, Jack Daniels. And I said, that's what I thought. I could smell it. I said, come on, son. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to go sit at the kitchen table. And I had went and got a gallon of Jack Daniels. Oh, no. And oh, I, no. I said, you want a drink? Here you go. And I poured myself one. And him and I sat there and we drank most of that bottle until mm. he was puking again. A couple days later, he comes to me and he says, oh, my God, Mom. He said, we went out last night and when they opened that Jack Daniels, he said, the smell of it made me sick. And I said, did you drink? He said, Oh, heck no. He said, no, 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 no. He said, that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. My son never touched a drop of Jack Daniels again. Now, yeah. he would drink other stuff. Of course. <laughs> but at 36 years old, you can open a bottle of Jack Daniels in front of him, and he's running for the toilet. It wow. still makes him sick. Wow. <laughs> so you're clearly like a person, I think, of principle, and you honor your word and things like that. And I'm just curious, um, like... Do you have any type of rituals or things that you do in, like, day-to-day or week-to-week, month-to-month that kind of keeps you centered and... I have this little voice in the back of my head Mm -hmm. that belongs to my grandfather. When we were growing up, as I said, my parents were military, so we traveled all over the world. Well, every summer, my family sent us home to, to be on the mountain with my grandparents for the summer. I remember one summer, my grandfather gave me the most valuable lesson of my life. I was about five years old, maybe six. And halfway through the summer, my chore in the morning was to help herd cattle before breakfast, Mm -hmm. to get them out of the barn and down to the pasture. Grandpa comes in this morning. It's like 4.30 in the morning. He's going, love, it's time to get up. And I'm like, I don't want to get up. He says, honey, get up. Like, no, why do I got why do I gotta do this? You know, I'm the oldest of the grandkids, mm-hmm. so that's why, even though I'm only five, I'm still the oldest. I'm going, I'm a girl, I can't do this, I don't wanna do this. I should you're so mean I mean, I'm just giving him hell. He looks at me and now my grandfather was a man of few words. And he said, If you don't get out of that bed, I'm gonna tan your butt. So I get up and I'm stomping around the house, still mad that I gotta go do this. 
I get out and I saddle my pony and he saddles his horse and off through the field we go. Well, it's still dark out and something spooked that pony. And when it did, that pony threw me mm-hmm. and I landed right in the biggest pile of cow manure I'd ever seen in my life. Well, now, if I wasn't mad before, I'm really mad now. And I am laying there in that pile of shit, kicking and screaming and <laughs> hollering. I told you I couldn't do this, and I'm a little girl, and now look at me. I hate you. I actually told my grandfather, I hate you. Mm-hmm. He climbed down off of that horse without saying a word, and I'm like, uh-oh. I just knew he was fixing to tear my butt up. And I rightly deserved it. I mean, I was pitching a tantrum big time. He ever so gently picked me up, and he started brushing me off and wiping the the manure off, and he took his handkerchief out, and he's brushing me off. And he said, child, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now, and don't you ever forget it. He said, life is going to go on, with or without you. Life is going to move. He said, now there are two kinds of people in this world. He said, there are those who are going to stand up and brush yourself off. And he said, there are those who are going to lay in that pile of shit and scream all day. Mm. He said, who are you? Mm. I got back on that pony, and I worked harder that day than I think I've ever worked in my life. But my entire life, when things get a little rough, I hear him in my head, girl, dusting bridges off, life goes on. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Now, I recently told the guy I'm dating that story. That's something that I keep. My grandfather was my love. Mm. And uh, he looks at me and he said, so that's why you do that. And I said, do what? He said, you don't know what you do? And I said, no. He said, when you are having a really, really stressful day, he said, when you stand up, you got to <gasps> yourself off. And I never noticed it until he said something. Oh, my God. Never have Uh I noticed that I do that. And when he said something, I'm like, no, I don't. Well, a couple hours goes by, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I get up, and sure enough, I'm like, yes, Grandpa. (laughs) But I dust myself off when I get up. And I never, ever, I don't know how long I've been doing it. Forever. I don't know if it's, but... I dust myself off. Wow. (laughs) That is magical. (laughs) He said, so that's why you do that. I'm like, do what? He's like, you really don't know? You dust yourself off. No, we don't. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Wow. Well, it's amazing how I always wonder with people, and I was having this conversation with one of my dear friends last night who is, like you, the definition of resilient. And, um, you know, I was asking him, like, what do you think it is within people that make them that way? The, the people that choose to, like you say, like, get up, dust yourself off, or just lie there in the shit and scream and just, like, let themselves wither away or just, like, sulk in sadness and just, like, choose the darkness rather than the light. And, like, there's something, I'm like, is it innate? Is there somebody who has a beacon that's leading? And I, I don't think there's a... I mean, to each their own, but that's always the question. It seems like you had a very strong beacon in your life. My grandfather was my, uh, he was always, like I said, a man of few words, but he made those words count. Mm. And he made them so those around you and those, I mean, he was, he was an example for everybody. My uh, uncle was in the Vietnam War. And Uncle Mike came back not altogether right mm-hmm. in the head, as many of our guys do. Well, my grandfather was in the service, retired from the service. He worked at a plant for 30 years. When he retired from the plant, there's 300 acres that belong to the family. Well, my grandfather took 50 acres, and he started what is called the Fresh Step Farm. He built a house with like 25 bedrooms, donated 50 acres. He donated all the materials, him and his brothers, for building this house. Him and his brothers and neighbors and everybody helped him build this house. 
and they created a little farm. It's a, it's a working nursery, and they also grow produce that they sell down at the farmer's market. And it is a home for guys that are coming back who are having a hard time adjusting. Mm-hmm. And they can go there, and it is, there's, Grandpa said one thing that will never happen here is you won't be here two weeks and you're out of here. They don't take any money from these guys. Um, and it's just so that they can adjust. There's one guy that's there. My grandfather died 12 years ago. And Matthew had been there like nine years when my grandfather died. And Matthew's still there. Mm. Um, there's no time limit. It, and at any given time, there's 25, 30 people there. And the farm is now self-sufficient. But in the beginning, my grandfather did everything there. I mean, all the financial responsibility of the place. There's an on-site doctor. And there are two on-site foremen. And... They have a working nursery where they grow flowers and trees and sell them. And then there's the, the farm itself where they grow the produce. And it's just a place to help people. Mm. And that's the kind of role model I had in my grandfather was, you know, there's always something. And there's always someone that is a little worse off than you. Yeah. No matter how bad you think you got it, everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. Mm. just trying to get them to share that story that's true well thank you for sharing your story with me and thank you everyone who's listening is there um anything else you'd like to share or express before we bring it to a close always know to me the most two powerful words in the english language are hope and faith never ever let anybody steal your hope or faith Mm. And never give up on hope or faith. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Joanna. Thank you. I'm, I'm like crying and a whole mess right now. <laughs> um, but thank you very much. It's such a beautiful story. And I'm so excited for you to do more of your bucket list items. And I feel like you're going to have to create more. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you're looking, you know, just in the windshield up ahead on your, your road trip, what um, what are you most excited for? I am really looking forward to this weekend. Okay. I have never worn a gown in my life. Never. And to be wearing... Did I show you the gown? No, I would love to see a photo. The uh, Say Yes to Hope Foundation um, has asked me to do a catwalk this weekend and represent colon cancer at a cancer fashion show. Mm. And so I said... I don't have clothes or a budget or an expense for that. I mean, I drive Uber to pay for chemo. Mm. And I said, I can't afford that. And they said, yes, you can. We've already bought your gown. <gasps> oh, it's so gorgeous. Wow. That's so, lovely. Um, that's this weekend. Yeah. That is this yeah. weekend in Dallas. Beautiful. On Saturday. Yes, did I show you the... The article that they wrote up on you me. You did. You yeah. did. Um, and I'll be sure to link to all of this in the show notes. But wow, that's amazing. Well, you know, you are such an amazing, inspirational woman. And thank you so much for your time and your story. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you for having me. You're it's welcome. been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. My name is Brad. I'm the editor of Her Drive Podcast. I just wanted to share an extra bonus clip with you today from our episode with Joanna. Before the podcast began, Um, The recorders were recording, and we picked up a really great story of Joanna meeting her boyfriend. And we just felt like it should be included in the the show, but there wasn't a good spot to stick it. So we're just going to put it in as a bonus clip, um, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. And I were married a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And a couple years ago, he looked at me and he said, I don't want to be a nurse, and he walked out the door. Oh, my Lord. After 38 years. And um, I was, it almost killed me because it took my hope. It took my, my spirit. And something hit me one day and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you going through the chemo, the treatments, the surgeries, just to sit on this couch and wait to die? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You are fighting so hard to stay alive and you are not doing the one thing you're supposed to be doing. You are not living. 
Well, a couple days later was supposed to be our 39th anniversary. And at the time, I was staying in Houston. I didn't live in Galveston yet. And I decided to come down and spend the day on the beach. And I'm sitting on the beach. And this big yellow lab comes running over to me. And I'm sitting there crying. This dog starts rolling in my lap. And this man is hollering, no, 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 stop. And I'm like, it's okay. I have a yellow lab back at, at my home. I'm, I'm not afraid of him. And when he saw I was crying, he plopped his butt in the sand next to me. And in five minutes, he had me laughing so hard, I thought I was going to pee my pants. <laughs> well, he's full-blooded Navajo Indian. And we're talking, and he asked me, you want to go out? I'm like, no. Mm. He said, why won't you go out? I said, I'm just not interested. Thank you. He said, oh, you're going to go out with me. And I said, no, I'm not, really. He said, oh, it's my skin color. And I said, no, it has absolutely nothing to do with your skin color. I think your skin color is beautiful. I said, I don't look it, but I'm part Cherokee, so it's beautiful to me. And uh, he said, oh, you're going to cry. I said, no. I said, okay. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 45. And I said, I'm 55. He said, so you're going to go out with me? I'm like, no, I'm not. So he says, I'm going to take the dog home. And I'm like, okay. Well, I figured that was his excuse to run away and I would never see him again. Mm -hmm. So I get up and I'm walking down the beach. And about 45 minutes later, he finds me. And he says, I told you I was coming back. And I'm like, yeah, well, men say a lot of things. Wow. And uh, we walked on the beach and we cut up and we laughed for several hours. And I said, I'm hungry. And he said, okay, let's go get a burger. And I'm like, no, I can't eat a burger anymore. He said, why? And I hadn't to that point mentioned cancer Mm -hmm. or anything else. And I said, you know, I have cancer and they've had to remove part of my intestines, my stomach, my gallbladder. So all the stuff that you have that processes food, I don't have anymore or I have very little of. So I have to eat things like soups and salads, things that are kind of bland, plain rice, little he said, okay, well, let's walk down to Miller's and get you some soup. And I said, okay. So we walked down to Miller's. I get soup. And when the check came, he grabbed the check and he looked at me and he said, see, I told you you'd go out with me. <laughs> I'm like, you're a sneaky little crap, aren't you? <laughs> but we've been together seven months now. <gasps> so wow. I think it's, it's amazing how God takes people out of your life to put people into your life. Mm. I have never laughed so much as I have in the last seven months. I think the the final straw with him was we had talked. I finally gave him my number and said, still, I'm not going out. But for two weeks, he called me every day. Good morning. How's your day going? He would send me text. I'm sitting at chemo one morning at 530 in the morning. And the nurse comes in and she said, Joanna, there is some really gorgeous guy out here looking for you. And I said, uh, dark skin, dark hair, beautiful black eyes. She said, yeah. I said, send him in. He comes in and I'm like, what are you doing here? He said, well, I was off today and I knew you had chemo. And he said, nobody should have to do this alone. Oh my God. And he said, I brought games and I brought sandwiches. And he started unloading his backpack and he brought Yahtzee and Scrabble. And we sat there and played games and I did chemo. And through chemo, at some point during the day, you're going to get sick. That's a given. You're going to get sick. Well, it hit me and I went to grab the IV pole and run for the bathroom. I missed the pole. So he grabs the pole and he follows me in the bathroom. And I'm like, you got to get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm going. I'm like, no, really, you got to get out. Before I could say it again, I threw up all over him. (gasps) Head to toe. I mean, all over him. Mm -hmm. And I'm mortified. Oh, my God, I just threw up all over this man. He looks at me and he just shakes his head. He takes his shirt off and he throws it in the bathroom sink. 
He opens up the bathroom door, and now there's like five nurses standing outside of the bathroom door. He's standing there dripping in water from trying to wash the vomit off of his face and chest. His shirt is in the sink. I can only imagine what the (laughs) nurses thought when they opened the door. He just looks at him and says, excuse me, ladies, and walks right past him, goes to his backpack, and gets out a change of clothes. He comes back to the bathroom, and he looks at me, and he said, are you done so I can change my clothes? I said, you brought clothes? He said, I know absolutely nothing about this stuff. He said, but I have been reading, and I knew that chemo might make you sick. He said, so I came prepared. And that night, as we were leaving, he sat there with me for nine hours that day. We're leaving. He said, let's go get something to eat. And I said, no. I said, check your backpack. Do you really think I want food? He said, well, you got a point there. He said, tomorrow's Wednesday. No chemo tomorrow, so I'll pick you up for breakfast. And I'm like, okay, the least I can do after I've done thrown up on you and you've sat here nine hours today is I can go to breakfast with you. So I gave him my address. He shows up at my house on a Harley Davidson. And he says, come on. And I'm like, oh, no. I said, I've never been on a bicycle. He said, you're getting on this bike. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm not. He put me on that bike, and we spent the whole day riding around Galveston on that bike. We have a ball, even if it's nothing but going for a walk with the dogs on the beach. So shortly after that, I moved to Galveston. He has his own place. I have my own place. But that ocean out there, that beach, it's just calming and relaxing. And the the people here on the island are just amazing. Mm-hmm. And the doctors asked me, why would you purposely move an hour and a half away? And I'm like, that's easy. That salt water out there, that's the only salt in the world known to man to lower your blood pressure. Mm. I said, you can get out there and walk on the beach, put your toes in the water, and it just kind of all goes away. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up here in Galveston. Wow. <laughs> you ended up in Galveston, and then I ended up meeting you. This is magical. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram, or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and Her Drive to success.